Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. You know what it is? Episode 84 for the love of the game. Let's cook. days of NBA games. Just craziness coming out of the bubble in Orlando. Like I said last episode, bubble NBA basketball is the greatest thing ever. And it also may be my downfall with so much excitement, so much going on all day long. Just awesome. So much good stuff. And I'll touch on some of it in just a little bit. So since I proclaim the Yankees the best team in baseball, well, they've lost five out of seven and have a much needed day off today. Not a great stretch recently, to say the least. Uh, yesterday's loss was a rough one. James Paxton was dealing up 3-0 going into the seventh, and then he gives up a two-run home run, and then another one right afterwards. It's 3-3, and then Zach Brit- Britton blows the save in the ninth. Not the way you draw it up. Am I super concerned? Well, not just yet, but they definitely need a third pitcher to step up. Garrett Cole is awesome. Tanaka's money in the playoffs, but they do definitely need one other guy. Uh, Also, the fact that their schedule right now, they haven't really played a lot of really good teams. I don't know. I'm not super concerned about the Yankees just yet, but they definitely need one more pitcher to step up. And I definitely believe that that guy is not J.A. Happy. We should got to get rid of him. Uh, Oh, and uh, Giancarlo Stanton after a hot start. What do you know? He's cooled off and is likely going to the DL. So that's awesome. As for baseball as a whole, well, that's still going on so that's good too that's pretty much it for baseball right now uh nhl playoffs are moving along shout out to the new york islanders for taking care of business unlike the rangers they are on to playing the capitals in the next round shout out to recurring guest and big islander fan andrew sender uh oh and the toronto maple leafs were eliminated john tavares made a wise decision breaking news by the way the rangers speaking of the rangers well they didn't take care of business against the hurricanes But they got the number one pick in this year's NHL draft. So I guess today was a good day to be a Ranger fan. Uh, A little golf update. So the PGA Championship happened this past weekend. Uh, Congrats on Colin Morikawa for winning his first major. Brooks Kepka, who's won this thing a couple of times. He was in the mix going into the final round and did not have himself a good final round. So yeah, that's uh, ATH on golf. Uh, A little college football update. Well, things aren't looking great for a start in the fall at the moment, uh, to say the least. After the Big Ten had released its schedule, the reports have been bad and the vibes of the season starting on time are not looking good. As Ryan Rosillo said on his podcast, I don't fault uh, the Big Ten or anybody for trying to get this right, 
or I should say trying to figure out a way to get it done. But there's just too many moving parts here, and there's no real governing body uh, in terms of college football per se, and the NCAA is not going to help their cause. Well, uh, the players led by Trevor Lawrence have expressed how much they want to play, but they aren't pros. There's no union. It's a way more complicated issue, and I just don't see it happening uh, this year as a whole, and I definitely don't see it happening on time, uh, which is something I've said multiple times on this show the last couple of months. So on to the NBA, which on the other hand has been uh, going along swimmingly, as I mentioned last episode. Well, it had another round of COVID tests, zero positive tests. Uh, The bubble is just fantastic and it has worked and everything the NBA has done has come up aces. I said it before, I'll say it again. The NBA turning into March Madness is the greatest thing ever and really terrible for my mental health and well-being and possibly my productivity throughout the day. We have three games left, or some teams two games left to play, and then the uh, Western Conference playing game, and it has been uh, determined that we will have a playing game. And then the playoffs start about a week from today. So here are a couple of takes uh, and a couple of high-level uh, um, things that I've noticed since the last show. One. The schedule of basically four games a week, well, yeah, that's going to yield some really re- weird results. So am I worried about the Bucks losing to the Nets and the Mavericks? No. Is OKC losing to a winless bubble Memphis team weird? Yes, but that doesn't mean I like OKC's chances in the Western Conference any less. Uh, same with the Clippers last night losing against the Nets. Weird stuff has happened so far, and I guess that should have been expected with the condensed schedule. But yeah, I'm not going to overreact in certain cases. Other cases, not so much. Uh, There should be cause for concern, which brings me to my next point, too. The Lakers. I don't think the Lakers are very, very good. They are dead last of all the teams in Orlando and basically every offensive metric. Now, I know LeBron picks it up in the playoffs, but I hate to break it to you, Laker fans, and I've been saying it for a while. This team as currently constructed, is not winning a title. It's just not. A team that relies on Kyle Kuzma as its third best player and having to depend on a lot of Dion Waiters and J.R. Smith in big spots isn't winning a title. Sorry, it's just not going to happen with this team currently constructed as it is. I don't care how great Anthony Davis and LeBron are. And by the way, Anthony Davis, everybody was blowing smoke up his ass uh, for how great he's been in the bubble. Well, he's had two horrendous games, game against Toronto and game against Oklahoma City. So yeah, he hasn't been as great as everybody says. So let's slow down with the the coronation of Anthony Davis just yet. And one last LeBron thing. He's admitted that the no fans thing is weird and he's had trouble adjusting to it. Yeah, okay, dude. Like, yeah, you're the only one who can't adjust to the no fans thing. Offensive numbers have been up across the board, but yeah, you're having a hard time adjusting. Maybe it's the fact that you handpicked the team with misfit pieces and you traded a whole bunch of guys for Anthony Davis, which they'll do 10 times out of 10. And these misfit pieces can't make threes and space the floor for you. But there's always an excuse with this guy, with LeBron James. How about this, LeBron? Shut up. Buckle down. This is your team. No excuses. Show us how great you are. I mean, LeBron is just the worst. And any LeBron fanboys are also the worst. I've had it. With this guy always making excuses. Enough already. Uh, Number three. Shout out to Damian Lillard for not only being 
awesome at playing basketball. Uh, the two free throws he missed to uh, lose the game against the Clippers as the one exception, but also keeping good old sports hate alive. His beefs with Russell Westbrook, I mean, that's a real beef that's gone back for years. And the latest Paul George and Patrick Beverly back and forth. Uh, and then him shoving Paul George's face in it, considering that he hit the shot over him last year to end the first round playoff series against OKC. It was just so great. I mean, with the NBA, with all these guys super buddy-buddy, the fact that Damian Lillard is a chip off the old block and still has that sports hate that we love the uh, not everybody being buddy-buddy is just awesome. Paul George, by the way, who has routinely shit the bed in the playoffs, while Lillard has two series-clinching buzzer beaters. Maybe be a little quiet, Paul George, before you talk smack to Damian Lillard. Maybe prove something a little bit before you start talking junk. As for Patrick Beverly, while I respect for him being consistent in his character as uh, a pain in the ass, but dude, you're the equivalent of an NHL goon. Just shut up and definitely don't be talking smack to all NBA caliber guards. Just stop it. Four, well, the Phoenix Suns are 6-0 in Orlando. Uh, unbelievable. I spent last week talking about how I'm doing a 180 on Devin Booker. But uh, DeAndre Ayton, who I've been super critical of, has been so, so impressive and has made major strides on the defensive end. So this is something I definitely didn't see coming uh, in any way with the Suns being 6-0 and in the bubble. I mean, good for them. I, I really think they have a chance to be in the playing tournament for the uh, the final eighth spot in the Western Conference playoffs, I, which I ultimately is going to go to Portland. But the fact that Phoenix has put itself in this position is unbelievable. And last point before getting uh, to tonight's guest, good riddance, the New Orleans Pelicans. Officially eliminated from the playoffs. They largely sucked in the bubble. They were an embarrassment on defense pretty much all year, and especially in the bubble. Everybody loved their chances going into the bubble. But now that they are gone, good riddance. Maybe next year. And sorry to J.J. Redick that his playoff streak had come to an end this year. Brandon Ingram had one stellar half of basketball, and NBA Twitter tried to tell me he's quote-unquote different. No, he isn't. He's a good player, big stats, and no wins. And I'll close with everybody's darling. Zion Williamson. Now, I love Zion Williamson, too. I love him as much as the next guy. I love what he can become. But, my dude, get in damn shape. You're a pro athlete. You have no excuse. And I don't want to hear about the time off due to the pandemic. Figure it the hell out. Hell, even his teammate, J.J. Redick, on his podcast talked about how NBA guys could get access to gyms. He had access to one in Brooklyn. You're able to figure it out if you really want to. Zion, you have every gift imaginable to be a great NBA player, a great NBA player, but it's all going to go to shit if you're not in shape. So you better start taking training seriously and taking your diet seriously. Maybe it's time to lose the 20 extra pounds you have going on, and then you can make a standard defensive rotation. And to everybody on Instagram who freaked out about that one picture where his arms looked ripped, like enough, enough freaking out about pictures of NBA players on Instagram, all right? Unless you see the video, I don't want to hear it. Again, I think the Pelicans and Zion have an extremely bright future, but shame on the NBA, the media, and NBA Twitter for trying to convince the masses that this team was anything more than mediocre. Oh, and Lonzo Ball, another guy who I happen to really like, but yeah, no talking shit on Twitter when you put up those stats that you just posted in Orlando. Look at those stats. Embarrassing. So, yeah, I'm happy to be done with the Pelicans for now. I don't want to hear about 
anything having to do with New Orleans for the next couple of months. And with that said, I'm excited to bring on a first-time guest, somebody who's a little bit more of a uh, a pro in this industry than me. We're going to talk a little NBA. We're going to talk a little baseball in just a moment. Okay, I teased it a little bit earlier. I, I have a very special first-time guest on, uh, somebody who's way more seasoned at this sports media thing than I am, uh, the Sports Map Radio National host based in Houston, ESPN 97.5. Mr. Jake Aspen. Jake, how's it going, man? I'm doing great, Aaron. Thanks for having me on the show. It's uh it's a pleasure. I know um I know I stalked you on LinkedIn a little bit. Uh we've made the connection, so I, I apologize uh, for the aggressiveness, but you know how it is as somebody who's trying to have a come up in the game, as you say, you know, you gotta gotta shoot your shots. So uh, I appreciate you coming on. Yeah, my pleasure. Uh, you know, I, I respect the hustle, respect the grind, and I'm happy to be with you. Awesome. So uh you know, I know you're based. You're a native New Yorker, but I know you're based in Houston. Uh, Houston is a very hopping sports city right now. Uh, between the Rockets and and the Astros, uh, you know the asterisk Astros. But we'll get to them in a second. I want to start with the Rockets because the NBA is all the rage right now. Uh, the Rockets have looked a little bit up and down, um, and you know, since the bubble has started. And obviously, James Harden is a super lightning rod. So let's start there. What are your thoughts on James Harden? Are you a fan? Are you a hater? Where do you fall on the spectrum? Uh, you know, I'm a fan of James. You know, I, I mean, I don't, I wouldn't say uh, I, I'm, you know, Google Gaga for the guy. You know, I'm, I'm not a Rockets fan, but, you know, just covering him up close the last two years. I have nothing bad to say about James Harden on a personal note from the times I've interviewed him. He's, he's always been professional. So I have nothing, you know, nothing to rip on him for, you know, for lack of unprofessionalism or anything like that. But, you know, as far as his game, I mean, there's no doubt to me he's a top five player in the NBA. And obviously, you know, until he wins a championship, there's always going to be, you know, a narrative that he can't win or that, you know, he's too one dimensional with what he does offensively. But, you know, when you watch him on a day in, day out basis, you just appreciate you know, just how damn good of a player he is. And, and he's had another phenomenal season. It's and it's no surprise, you know, that he once again was, you know, one of the three finalists for MVP. And if you think about it, you know, going back the last couple of years, Harden's either coming second or first in the MVP. I think each of the last now four seasons. So he'll come in top three now again this year, probably coming third behind uh, LeBron and Giannis. But, you know, he's a great player. And obviously, you know, the Rockets' best chance of winning a title, it might very well be this season. So we'll see if they could pull it off. So... I just you mentioned the top uh, three or, or top two finishes for MVP. I mean, I think that just proves that I think the MVP voting needs to be overhauled a little bit because whatever my brand is like, I'm I'm an anti Harden guy. Uh, I just I wouldn't want to play basketball with him. I wouldn't want. I, I hate how he flops and you know for calls. I and his indifference on defense at times, it's been a little bit better recently. Just, just rubs me the wrong way. I just, I, I can't get behind this Rockets team. But having said that, they've been exceedingly interesting. The fact that they basically punted on, on a center, punted on anybody over 6'8", and have gone completely wing heavy uh, and have spread the floor for Harden and Westbrook. So how is the city of Houston feeling about this Rockets team? Are they confident in a deep playoff run? Because, you know... With the Rockets, with the style of play that they have and, and the amount of threes that they shoot, I mean, they can easily beat anybody on a given night. I mean, that's just what the math says, and I think that's what they're banking on. But they've also choked a lot in the playoffs recently. So how's Houston feeling about this team right now? 
Yeah, I mean, it depends how you look at it, right? I mean, they obviously have come up short the last couple of years, and they've had some brutal losses during that stretch. But, you know, it's tough to say they've choked when the team they went up against was one of the greatest basketball teams we've ever seen assembled, right? They've been the closest out of of any team. So, believe it, I'm no Rockets fan. I I don't even, you know, defend them that often. I've criticized them a lot for how they played, and I think they do have to get better in big games. And until they win, you know, a big-time game in the playoffs and go on a run to the finals, you know, all the criticism that they're going to face is fair. You know, that being said, I do think they're capable of winning a championship. I wouldn't pick them, though. I think they're still probably at best the third team in the Western Conference. I think the two L.A. teams are better. I think the small ball has a great chance of working because of the fact they had this long layoff. They had an opportunity to get some practice time in, plus eight games of quote-unquote regular season games before they get set with the playoffs. And, you know, because they're not traveling, there's no fans, I I think that that maybe helps a guy like James Harden and, and Russell Westbrook playing you know, on a neutral floor, neutral side. So we'll see. I, I think they have a chance to go on a run. I wouldn't pick them, though. I still think, you know, the team that comes out of the West is either the Clippers or the Lakers. So I wanted to talk about that uh, right now, uh, especially the matchup with the Lakers and a lot of what's going on in the Western Conference right now, because to be totally honest, going into the uh, into Orlando, I mean, when, when the stoppage happened, I, I did think that the Clippers and Lakers were a cut above everybody else. But I, as we've seen so far, it transpire in the bubble, per se. It, that really hasn't looked the case. I mean, the Clippers have continuity issues. They've been up and down. I mean, they've been missing guys. Lou Williams just got back. I mean, Montrez Harrell just got back to the bubble today. Uh, the Lakers have looked like a mess. I mean, they're the worst offensive team in Orlando. Um, I Denver has an interesting ceiling with Michael Porter Jr. being a revelation. Uh, I've been really high on this Oklahoma City team. I know they just lost to Phoenix. I mean, Phoenix is 6-0 and in the bubble. No one saw that coming. I just – it's going to be so matchup dependent. But you mentioned uh, the Clippers and the Lakers as sort of being the cream of the crop of the West. Do you think secretly the Rockets want to play the Lakers? I know they don't want to play the Clippers. But don't you think they secretly want to play the Lakers or want the chance to play the Lakers? Because I really think they can beat the Lakers easily. Yeah, I, I don't know about easily if I'd go that far because I just still think until someone actually beats LeBron and AD and, and, and that Lakers team, I don't really care what they do in, in these bubble games. I, they're not they playing are. for anything. You know, they've, they've had the one seed locked up now for a couple of weeks. So I, I just think, look. If the if the if the Rockets were to get to Lake to get the Lakers in the conference finals, I think they have a chance. You know, I really do. I wouldn't pick them though. I, I think they're a tough matchup with the Clippers. The Clippers kind of overwhelm them with their depth. The Rockets only have an eight or nine man rotation. The Clippers could roll ten guys at you and just have a lot more size to be able to deal with uh, the Rockets small ball. So I, I think they're going to be competitive. I think they have a chance against anyone in a neutral site, best of seven in Orlando. I really do. I just wouldn't pick them. You know, I think they're good. I don't think they're at the level of the two top teams in the West. So here's my thing with with the Lakers. Uh, and, and I agree with you about the Clippers and the depth, but it's also the positions and where they're deep, right? They're, they're deep with wing defenders that they can throw it at Russ and at Harden. They, they're not... I mean, that, that, that's the uh, Achilles heel of the Rockets is, is long perimeter defenders to make those guys take tougher shots than they already do. And they're just going to live with the likes of Daniel House and Jeff Green, who you never really want to count on in a playoff series anyway. Um, those guys are going to have to make shots. But the the individual defenders for Russ and for, and for Harden on the Clippers, I mean, they have some of the best guys in the league to do that. 
The Lakers, on the other hand, their backcourt is a disaster, right? Uh, it, re- it really is. A, and, they, and they just can't make shots. So if the, if the, if the Rockets are going to make threes, right, and you're going to have your one game where Harden goes crazy, you're going to have your game where Westbrook goes crazy, right? And then they're going to have the games where they're going to get cold. But if it comes to a three-point shooting contest between the Lakers and the Rockets, I mean, I don't see the Lakers winning that. And I think for the Rockets, it's like, yeah, they don't have an answer for Anthony Davis. But if Anthony Davis gets you 40 and no one else really goes crazy and and LeBron, I mean, they have bodies to throw at LeBron. But if if LeBron doesn't go crazy, too, I, I don't see how the Lakers can score enough points. Yeah, I mean, obviously they're gonna you know need to shoot the ball better, but this has been a concern for theirs basically the entire season. I remember going into the year we talked about oh do the Lakers you know have enough shooters playing with LeBron and Anthony Davis? I still think ultimately you talk about a best to seven LeBron and AD alone could probably win you four of the seven, even if you don't get the best shooting from the outside. But that's why the Rockets have a legitimate chance because what they do well is tough to stop. If the Rockets have a night where they hit a million threes, you know, I don't care who they're playing. They got a legitimate chance to win. And when you have two of them, you'll be the top 10 players in the league on your team in, in James Harden and Russell Westbrook. If those guys have a monster night at the same time, you could steal a game. And if you steal one game, maybe you steal a playoff series. So I, I think it's more interesting because of the bubble, because of the home court for all these teams trying to challenge the Clippers and the Lakers. But my, my, my gut still tells me I'm not picking against them. But yeah, I think, I think there's, you know, you're right to have some concerns with how the Lakers have played offensively. I just think when they need to kind of flip that switch, they'll be able to do it ultimately. There's no doubt about that LeBron gets the benefit of the doubt. But if you go back, and I I think I saw this, uh, Colin Cowherd uh, mentioned this on his radio show. Uh, If you go back and look at like the last couple of champions, and again, let's take out the, let's take out the the Warriors with Kevin Durant, because that's a whole nother animal that was, that was a fluke in terms of so many different things had to happen for, for him to be joining the Warriors has been outlined in many different, uh, different shows over the years. But look at the third best player on each title team, right? Most recently, if you're going to take out the Durant Warriors, it was Kevin Love or it was uh, Draymond Green. It was Kawhi Leonard that year that he won finals MVP was, you can argue that he was the third best player on the team or it was Tony Parker. I mean, for the Lakers, they're counting on Kyle Kuzma to be that guy. And I just don't see it. I don't see a team with Dion Waiters, you know, being counted on who hasn't played real meaningful basketball in over a year and a half. I just don't see them winning a title. And I think the Rockets, a team that has been on the precipice of trying to get to the finals, like, I think they're salivating at the chance to possibly play the Lakers. Yeah, I think you're right. I I, I think they have a great chance. Like, I, I really do. I, I'm not going to, you know... I, I, I'm just not going to pick them. I, I just, I don't know. I've been burnt by the picking the Rockets in the past on, on radio here. And I just, I, I'm just kind of waiting to see them put it together and do it because, they, you know, you, you even talked about how, you know, you're not the biggest Harden fan. There's been moments where, you know, in elimination games, especially he has not been great at times. So there's been moments where he's been great. And there's been other moments where statistically speaking, he's been bad. I go back to, you know, I was at the game last year where Steph Curry didn't score a point in the first half. And then, you know, torched them 33 in the second half and down the stretch James Harden was nowhere to be found you know for the Rockets when they needed them it, one, at, of my, one of my favorite games to one of my favorite games of all time because I'm a huge Curry guy and and again I'm I'm, I'm anti-Harden maybe a little bit too much but it just gave me all the credence in the world about Harden and his big game failures and, and Curry 
when you know Durant was out and and they had him on the ropes and Curry came up big, or the 0 for 27, which I'm sure that you probably saw in terms of the threes in Game Seven at home. It's another one. Yeah, I so. We'll see. I mean, I think the Rockets are a better team now than they've been the last year or so. I think the small ball fits what Mike D'Antoni wants to run, but we'll see. I think ultimately, you know, you have you have Westbrook, you have Harden, you have a chance. Now, are they going to get Eric Gordon back in time for the playoffs? Will he be healthy? I think that's a big factor in this. Austin Rivers, career high 41 last night. How sustainable is his play? He's kind of inconsistent, kind of erratic. Well, Robert Covington is kind of coming into his own. Ben uh, McAmore, I, I think, has some game. He's a perfect 3 and D guy in the offense. They have the pieces that fit, but it's ultimately going to be on Harden and Westbrook to elevate their games come playoff time to get them there. I actually kind of have a soft spot for Austin Rivers. I don't know what it is. I, maybe because he was just crapped on so early in his career, deservingly so. Maybe it's because he was so incredibly arrogant going into his uh, – one year at Duke and then going into the draft, but he's carved out himself a nice little niche in terms of an NBA player. Like he's a legit rotation player. Um, you know, we mentioned Harden as being a very uh, polarizing type player and, and a lot of NBA fans are split on him. Well, Westbrook is another guy who's also incredibly uh, polarizing. So where do you stand on, on Westbrook? I think Russell Westbrook, you know, watching him up close, you really, uh, you really respect his game. Um, you, know, you really respect kind of you know the effort he plays with, the intensity that he plays with, night in, night out. You you have a you, you have like just an appreciation for it watching it up close. You know the biggest thing with Westbrook though is just you know there there are times where if he's not shooting at all well, you know, and he's kind of a little off, it can affect his entire game. But I, I think Westbrook being the two to Harden's one is is a is a way better fit and. Kind of got off to a bit of a slow start once the season began. Then he really started to play well before, um, you know, before we had the, you know the season get suspended. And, and he's played well so far, despite the fact he had COVID coming into you know the Orlando restart. So I was kind of worried, you know, how he, would he look early on? But he's starting to get his legs back. I think they're going to be super careful with him down the stretch here to make sure he's ready for the playoffs. But I, I think he's done a really nice job so far. You know, I think there was you know some fair questions coming in about him, but. You know, watching him up close, he wants to win. He's he's taken less of a role at times to Harden. And I think both guys have kind of learned to play off each other. And it's been kind of fun to watch as the season has developed. So it's it's funny you said he's the, he's the two to Harden's one. Because right before the uh, the stoppage happened um, and the pandemic kind of broke out, you know, Harden went through this brutal, brutal stretch. And obviously it's well documented that Westbrook to start the year was atrocious shooting the ball. Um, but then it. In January to February, it kind of flipped that Harden went super cold and Westbrook, when they started playing five out, just went absolutely bonkers. Like he was leading the league in in points in the paint by, I think, like six points a game. Like it, it was it was nuts. And um, and he kind of as, assumed that alpha type role in a sense, just because of his sheer personality. Like even when even when Westbrook isn't playing well, like Westbrook's the guy who. He's either going to strike out swinging in like and and crash and burn in spectacular fashion, but he's never going to go silent. So isn't that something that like this Houston Rockets team needs, especially with Harden in the past having gone silent a little bit in terms of just like fading into oblivion in a big spot? Yeah, I, I, I listen. I, I I think he's done a really nice job at times, kind of knowing his role, and you know he's gone out there and. You know, to his credit, 
he 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 has been a really good leader for this team. You know, there were some questions coming in. Oh, what type of teammate is Russ? How will he fit in a new city where he's you know not necessarily the guy? And he's been great. And I think you know the way he plays defensively, night in, night night out, is what you need from one of your best players. And you know, especially when you replace Chris Paul, a guy that's a you know well respected guy, a leader, but still kind. You know, he's getting up there. I think you know durability wise, there was some concern with CP. You know, to replace him with a guy like Westbrook, who's just known for his motor, you know, you can't be, uh, you know, you, I, I, you can't do much better as far as getting a high energy guy than Ross. So I, I think it's been a good fit so far. But, you know, a lot will be determined based on how they play in the playoffs. My biggest thing about Westbrook, and I've been a Westbrook defender forever, um, is I love guys who max out their talents, right? Who, who come in day in and day out, give a shit, and play hard every single night. And and even if they're incredibly flawed, I mean, guys who I considered like that are, you know, Allen Iverson, uh, Kevin Garnett, Kobe Bryant. Uh, all these guys had a couple of flaws to their games, but all of them maxed out their talents and abilities and always gave a crap night in and night out and never took a night off. And Westbrook's one of those guys, and I have a tremendous amount of respect for guys like that. I mean, I have a soft spot for guys like that, but yeah, it's the, the chemistry issue has been interesting. So let, let's fast forward a little bit. And because let's say it doesn't work in the playoffs and uh, something goes wrong and there, and there's a flame out, right? Daryl Morey has, uh, has not been shy about changing things up. Um, obviously we had on the backdrop of all this is Mike D'Antoni's contract extension, or lack thereof, he's basically doesn't have an extension right now. Um, if the experiment fails, could you see major, major changes uh, in the off season? I mean, besides for just you know changing the coach, could you see a scenario where they try to trade James Harden because he may be easier to trade than Russell Westbrook? No, I, I don't see any scenario where that happens. They're committed to Harden being their guy. I think they they made that determination a long time ago, and they wouldn't pull the plug on anything. If if anything, they would maybe move Westbrook, but I don't even think that's possible now with his contract and everything going on. They're kind of locked into this team. That's why I mentioned it might be their best chance to win because you look at this team. They're an they're an older team with a bunch of veterans that have paid their guys. Eric Gordon, PJ Tucker under contract. They don't have any draft capital. They've used all that. And the moves to you know get Robert Covington for Clint Capella and obviously the 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 Westbrook trade you know it cost them a ton of first round picks over the years so they they're not in position to to really change the core of this roster the only thing they could do and you mentioned it is change the head coach and I really don't think that's fair to Mike D'Antoni I don't think there's a coach that's out there that makes the Rockets you know that much better of a team I think D'Antoni's a solid coach and should be given the opportunity to coach his team with the small ball lineup that they went all in to try and play so. I, you know, I just think ultimately, uh, if if you're the Rockets, this might be your best chance. You know, you don't have to go on the road. You know, you're healthy. James Harden can't use fatigue as a excuse for him in the playoffs because he's playing all these minutes. You know, he's had all this time off. They're taking it easy with him minutes-wise in these eight games, getting set for the playoffs. This might be their best chance. I, I still wouldn't pick them, but this still might be their best chance to try and get over the hump. So I just, you know, Daryl Morey has, is not shy. And I don't know, it's a small chance, but I don't think he would want to lock himself into a team where it has like a ceiling. So I think he'll do anything to try and raise the ceiling, but I'm not sure what else he can do. Uh, but it'll, it'll definitely be interesting to watch. I, I'm definitely looking forward to watching them, even though I am 
very much not a fan of how they play basketball, but I do have a soft spot for Russell Westbrook, so I, I guess maybe I am a little bit more so of a fan of this team than I originally thought I would be. Uh, I, I wanted to switch gears for a second. So obviously another very polarizing team based in Houston, the Houston Astros, right? Um, we all know what happened uh, with the um, with the recording. There were, were there buzzers, the uh, the trash cans, the whole nine. Obviously, uh, opposing teams are not very happy with them. Um, and the and the cheating that went on. I mean, how do the people of Houston view uh, the Astros? Uh, how do they how are they dealing with being the villain? Uh, do they still respect this team? Do they still love this team? I mean, what what's the vibe like around the Astro fans? Oh, the vibe is. I mean, it's basically you know the Astro fans against everybody. I mean, I kind of understand the sentiment in the sense that you know when you know the national media and fans from every other team are you know at your your throats day in, day out this offseason. Honestly, you know, rightfully so. I kind of understand, you know, that mentality. But, I mean, the, the reality is this team right now is just not the same team they've been. If you watch the Astros up close, starting pitching-wise, they're not very recognizable. They have, you know, Zach Greinke, who's been okay. Lance McCullers is back coming off Tommy John, but he's been iffy so far. Verlander's done for the year, so they've lost their ace. Osuna, their lockdown closer, done for the year, so they've lost their closer. And, you know, offensively, they've had moments, but, you know, a lot of their main guys aren't hitting right now. And that's why they've lost five in a row. And that's why they're six and nine on the season. So, you know, I, I think the Astro fan is still going to support their team because, you know, they, you know, it's the team they, they root for. So I, I understand that. But, you know, this is not the same Astros team that we've seen the last three years win over 100 games. And obviously, you know, go to the World Series in 17, the ALCS in 18 and back to the World Series last year. So you're telling me it's a lot harder to hit a baseball when you don't know exactly what pitch is coming. Yeah, <laughs> the Astros are learning that the hard way. You know, it depends on, on kind of how you feel about the whole thing, right? I mean, obviously, we know they cheated in 2017 and parts of 2018. But, you know, MLB's report did say they found no wrongdoing for 2019. So I think most people don't believe they just stopped doing it after the last, uh, you know, after doing it in 17 and 18. They just stopped in 2019. But uh, you know, I, I just think it depends on, uh, you know, how you view the whole thing. If you think they cheated going, you know, into last year as well, then yeah, it's certainly a lot harder to hit a baseball when you don't know what pitch is coming. What I think is happening is, you know, some teams and some players are built to kind of be the heel, play the heel, be the villain. And some guys just aren't built for that. I don't think Jose Altuve is built to be the heel, built to be the bad guy. And I think the pressure of everyone saying you cheated, you scumbag, you stink, and just everything they've had to hear all offseason, and just, you know, the hatred and vitriol they're dealing with from other teams, even though there's no fans there, so they get a break. I, I think they're not built to deal with it. They're kind of half pregnant in a sense that, you know, they're like, oh, uh, everyone's against us. But then they're kind of like, you know, we're sorry. We're trying to make it, you know, we 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 have to move forward. So they're they, they, to me, they should have either just been all in on being the bad guys or just had a better apology from the beginning because the way they botched that is a big reason why, you know, there's so much hate for them around the game. I mean, Carlos Correa could not have looked worse. I mean, I, I, I'm a Barstool sports guy, so Alex Bregman, hit, you know, I have a soft spot towards. Um, but, I mean, yeah, they, in the offseason, they just, they just did not deal with it well. At, but I wanted to ask you this. Um, Obviously, we had the Joe Kelly incident, right? Joe Kelly gets suspended eight games uh, for throwing at those guys. Uh, I, I did. I, I believe that they were going to. That was something that they were going to get dealt with, right? That they were. I should say that they were going to deal with with other teams throwing at them. What Major League Baseball did in suspending Joe Kelly. I mean, even though he he 
he only hit Altuve. I think he only hit Altuve with a, with a breaking pitch. He missed Bregman. Um, but suspending him eight games kind of protected the Astros because now you can't throw inside on the Astros because anything deemed going inside it should be looked at as, as intentional. I mean, isn't it a little crazy of how the commissioner of baseball kind of treated the Astros and kind of put them in bubble wrap, especially when they weren't punished on the field in terms of missing games for what happened in 2017 yeah, to 2018. Yeah, I mean, it's a big part of, you know, why this situation is what it is. I really believe if Rob Manfred handed out an adequate punishment from the beginning, it's certainly a lot different. And if he wants to use the excuse, well, he couldn't punish the players because the union would step in and get involved and he needed their honest testimony, then, okay, vacate the World Series. Because the fact that the Astros got to keep their championship, no one looks at it legitimately, of course, but technically, if you go in the history books, the Astros are 2017 World Series champions. And, you know, I've argued on my radio show a lot, you know, if Manfred vacated the title, you could get away with not necessarily suspending the players. But the fact that there was no vacation of the title and the fact that all the players got off scot-free and what was deemed by MLB's investigation, quote, a player-driven scandal, a a player-driven scheme, uh, that just doesn't cut it for me. And baseball players around the league obviously are appalled by everything that's unfolded. And it's no surprise that a team like the Dodgers and a pitcher like Joe Kelly, you know, decided to take justice into their own hands. So I don't think anything we've seen should be that surprising with the Astros. So you you just said you advocated for um for vacating the World Series. What would you have done instead? If you vacate the World Series, would you have deemed the champion, or would you just have said uh, no champion for 2017? Yeah, it's it's there. It's vacated. It's just nobody won in 2017. You don't give it to the Dodgers. You don't give it to like right. the Yankees or the Red Sox. But you know, people should know the World Series that we thought was won in 2017 by the Astros. After further review, we're taking it away. And it's unfortunate. It's a bad look for the game. But I think it's a worse look for the game that this is an Astros team that cheated their way to a championship and then no players got suspended. The whole thing is crazy. I mean, there are so many things to talk about Major League Baseball baseball, and the commissioner's office and how a, much of a disaster Rod Manfred has been. And that doesn't even include the uh, the bubble situation because I actually don't think that was so much his fault, as I, I mentioned before uh, on an earlier show. But, yeah. The whole thing—it's just—it's just wild how they dealt with it, and and how the players now are sort of in bubble wrap. So, as I mentioned earlier, you are a native New Yorker. I know you're based in Houston, but you're a native New Yorker, uh, and it's come to my attention that you're a Knicks fan, man, just like I am. Oh, yeah. uh, I understand that there's no reason to talk about the Knicks now because the Knicks are completely irrelevant, but they did uh, hire Tom Thibodeau to be the uh, the future head. I should say the new head coach of the New York Knicks. So as from one disgruntled, depressed Knicks fan to another, what was your uh, opinion on the uh, on the tips hiring? Yeah, you know what? I, I'm I'm encouraged by it. I think it was a smart hire. I, I, I think, you know, ultimately, you know, Tom Thibodeau is a guy that has a proven track record. They needed someone with a proven track record. That's the biggest thing. I would have been OK if they hired Kenny Atkinson because they also need someone that could develop young players. And Kenny has a track record of that in Brooklyn. But Thibodeau, if you talk to any of his players, they love him. You know, I don't I don't really care what happened in Minnesota when he became the GM. That's when it went bad there, not when he was coaching them to their first playoff appearance in 13 years. And go look at what Derrick Rose has said about him. He was the youngest MVP in league history under him. Go look at what, you know, Carlos Boozer and Joakim Noah and all these guys that played on those Bulls teams said about Thibodeau. I think the guy's a really good coach. And I think ultimately the Knicks are only going to go as far as the roster that Thibodeau is coaching. 
But part of how you get better in the NBA is developing your own, developing your young talent. So then you can attract a superstar to play with you. And I think Thibodeau's the right guy to be able to develop the young players on this team. No nonsense, proven track record. Jeff Van Gundy swears by him. Uh, so I'm encouraged by it. I, I think his coaching staff will be very important. I saw Mike Woodson. Looks like he's going to be hired to be on that staff. I think that's a really smart move by Tom Thibodeau. And you know what? Ultimately, out of all the options that were out there, it kind of felt like all along Thibodeau was the favorite. So we shouldn't be that surprised if the Knicks went with him. So I I initially hated it. I I absolutely initially hated it because I am under I, I don't want to keep hiring retreads, right? And it just seems so Nixian to just get a big name because he's been good in the past and not look for innovation. Like I was for the Derek Fisher hiring. I know it didn't turn out well, but I was for it because there was innovation there. I just the Knicks always go for this brand name and that and that's their it seems to be their thought process. And you know, Tibbs is a very gruff guy, you know, and and may, and he's been shown to be exceedingly stubborn. And I'm not sure that that necessarily works in today's NBA. Like it's been over a decade since since the Bulls won 60 games when, you know, Derrick Rose was the MVP. Like I just feel like there's been so much basketball innovation that he may be just may have passed him by. I mean, I don't know. I mean, it, the thing, and I agree with you about the Minnesota thing with the with when he became general manager, and he's not a GM now, thankfully, that it went bad. But also, if you look at the, he prides himself on defense, and that team was a terrible defensive team, just horrible. Um, and and I think that speaks a lot to Carl Anthony Towns and his character. I'm not a Carl Anthony Towns fan. I just. I don't know. It just seemed very Knicks-like to go after the big name, not necessarily do your full due diligence on on some other, you know, lower um, profile guys. Candidates, and you know what? I, like the, the the Knicks thing was hiring Derek Fisher. The Knicks thing was hiring Jeff Hornacek because he'd run the triangle. The Knicks thing was hiring. David Fisdale, because they thought he would attract free agents. The Knicks did the opposite of the Knicks thing, in my opinion. They hired a guy with a track record that's had success. And, you know, to your point on Thibodeau, you know, the fact that he is such a basketball junkie and the fact that he was out of the game for a full year and got to sit back and watch other teams for a full year, I, I agree with what Jeff Van Gundy said when he spoke to the New York media about the Thibodeau hire. I think that's really going to galvanize him. I think that's really going to energize him and, you know, put him in, in great position you know, to have success with the Knicks. You know, the Knicks should be following the Phoenix Suns model where they were a 19-win team last year, brought in a brand-new front office, brand-new coaching staff, maximized some of the talent they had on that roster, and now they're undefeated in the bubble with a chance to go to the playoff. Like, that's what the Knicks should be doing. And they have some young pieces on this team that you would hope under Tibbs would get better. And that's what it will come down to. Are they going to be able to surround the, you know, the rest of the roster with some talent? I, you know, ultimately a coach can only do so much. Can the Knicks draft? Well, can they develop their own? That's the only way they get out of this mess. But one thing I think that, uh, that Tibbs has going for him is uh, he's got a, a potential defensive anchor in Mitchell Robinson that, could completely unlock his defense and change the way he plays defense. Because if you go back to the Boston days, he had Kevin Garnett, right? If you go back to the Chicago days, he had Joe Kim Noah. He didn't have that guy in Minnesota. I mean, 
we could talk about Carl Anthony Towns for hours in terms of his shortcomings as a player and having no um and having no competitive spirit, uh, especially on the defensive end. But it looks like Mitchell Robinson is extremely talented, especially on the defensive end and offensively. But on the defensive end, where he can make up for so many other guys' mistakes, and you, and he had that going back, you know, in Boston and Houston. And if he lets Robinson develop and play through mistakes and even foul trouble, like maybe there could be something here, and maybe I shouldn't be as pessimistic as I am. Yeah, I mean, there's pieces here, right? I mean, I don't think anyone's going to argue the Knicks are, you know, an offseason away from being a contender. They're not there yet. But what if R.J. Barrett takes a big step in the second year? What if Mitchell Robinson continues to show the improvement we've seen from him? There's some pieces here that I think if you're a Knicks fan, you have to be optimistic about. Hopefully they get some, uh, you know, they get some luck in the lottery for once and actually can move up instead of moving back, you know, with, you know, with their draft position. But, you know, ultimately... Uh, I, I, I just, I, I'm hopeful because that's all you really could be at this point. Like, I'm tired of just being down on everything the Knicks do. Like, are they a player or two or white? No, but do I think they're going in the right direction? I do. I mean, what does that really mean? You know, I felt like I've, I've felt this way before in the past and I've been dead wrong. So, you know, we'll see. I, I, it's just, it's frustrating because they've been bad for so long, but at the same time, I don't think they're as far away from being, you know, back to the playoffs and, you know, a wide open end of the Eastern conferences, maybe some people think. Well, I mean, they do have a clean cap sheet. They do have these young guys, and uh, and who knows? Picks. I mean, that you know, they have it. It's not like in the past when they've traded, you know, multiple picks for Andrea Bargnati or Eddie Curry or some of these awful moves they've made. They actually have all their first round picks. You know, say whatever you want about you know the Knicks the last two years. The only thing they have done well is not trade away their their first round picks over the years. Yeah, I mean, they, they do have draft capital. It's funny that you said that, you know, maybe they'll move up in the draft. I, I don't even think this year is the draft that, like, it really matters. I think there's just a lot of guys who are jumbled in the same uh, in the same tier of, of prospects. Uh, I mean, I, admittedly, I haven't really focused on, on the draft prospects a whole lot uh, recently. But, yeah, it will – I mean, we'll see, we'll see. We'll see who they can come up with in the draft. I mean, besides for just uh, the draft uh, – well, I guess I'll ask you two questions. One, is there one player in the draft that you would absolutely love in terms of the fit with the Knicks as currently constructed? Because I don't have a guy. I mean, they probably need a point guard, right? But just get the best player, right? Because I think if you draft from need, you end up screwing up and doing more damage than, you know, just taking the best player and figuring it out. I mean, you know, is Anthony Edwards that guy? I mean, he's a shooting guard. The guy could score. He was great at Georgia. Is it LaMelo Ball? I don't know if we really want to deal with the balls, but... You know, if he's the best player, you got to consider it. Um, you know, Obi Topin from from Dayton, I watched a lot in college basketball this year. But you know, it's it, it it's honestly it's a crapshoot, right? I mean, you know, for for every LeBron you get first overall, there's a bunch of busts as well. So you know, just get the player right. I, I think ultimately, you know, it, it's not necessarily where you draft. It's it's who's making that pick, and hopefully, Leon Rose does a good job evaluating talent and has the right people around him to help them nail the pick so the Knicks can finally get a big-time player moving forward. So, I mean, you just mentioned Leon Rose. He's a relationship guy coming over from CAA. He, he, what moves do you expect the Knicks to make this offseason? I know everybody's got the pipe dream of 2021 and, and a certain uh, eventual two-time MVP taking his talents to Madison Square Garden. I, I can't even let myself go there because it'll just make me super sad. But this offseason, is there? Do you expect anything big? Do you, 
What do you think here? Because a lot of that's going to depend on what the cap situation's like with this whole pandemic uh, restart thing. I mean, we're not even sure how how much room they're really going to have. But do you see them doing anything of of real substance, or are they just going to really roll it over to twenty twenty one? I think it's kind of a mixed bag. I, I think, obviously, the better free agent class is 2021. So it's a big offseason as like a stepping stone to put them in position where they could be players in that offseason. But, you know, ultimately, you know, the Knicks have some existing talent that we spoke about on this roster. They have some guys they maybe could trade to try and get a disgruntled star that's out there. I don't know if that's necessarily, you know, the smartest thing in the world. There's some rumblings about bringing Melo back in a one-year deal to let him finish his career as a Nick. You know, that's interesting. But... You know, I I think they should continue to kind of do what they did this past year, right? Sign guys to one-year deals at the most, you know, to keep your cap flexibility and play your young guys and let them get better under Thibodeau. And hopefully some of the young guys you have on this team now take drastic steps, you know, this upcoming season. Like R.J. Barrett should go from a guy that was, you know, good as a rookie, had his moments, to a guy that we look at and go, okay, this guy can be an all-star, like can be that type of player. So, uh, you know, I just think it's about development more than anything. You know, the quick fixes have to stop with the Knicks. They don't work. You know, put an infrastructure in place, put a real team in place, and you'll give yourself the best chance to win that way long term. Would you? Last question. Uh, would you pay Fred Van Vliet this summer? Yeah, I like his game a lot. I, I think he's kind of underrated. Like, I, I think he kind of gets lost in the shuffle there in Toronto. The guy's a really good player, man. 3D, hustle, can run your offense. I like his game a lot. Now, Am I going to give him a max contract? I don't know if that makes sense for a team like the Knicks to do it, but I like his game a lot. If they didn't, I'm not going to be upset. I think he's a really good player. There was a stat last week. I heard it on the uh, the Chris Vernon podcast that he does with Kevin O'Connor. Uh, and again, it's dated to last week, so obviously they've played a couple of games uh, since then. But when Fred Van Vliet starts for the Raptors, they are 60 and 18. Just, just absurd, and yeah. and he plays good defense. I mean, how that guy went undrafted, I have no idea. The guy plays great defense. He shoots forty percent from three. I mean, I would love him at to have him on the Knicks roster. I just, at what price point? It's like everything else. I just, I don't know. I'm, I'm a little, I'm a little torn on it. Yeah, I mean, I, I think the Knicks just have to be smart if they go all in on a player like Fred VanVleet. You know, what's the plan after that? You know, is the plan now this year to make the playoffs if you do that? Or, you know, does it make more sense to, you know, have kind of another quasi rebuilding year where the young guys get minutes? And, you know, the hope would be that you have the core in place where, you know, maybe a big time free agent wants to sign with you. I mean, look at the Nets, right? They had a bunch of young pieces in place and, you know, they made the playoffs. They weren't supposed to do that. And all of a sudden, Kyrie Irving and Kevin Durant were like, oh, this is a team that has a young infrastructure in place. And then all of a sudden, you know, they were attracted to those guys in free agency. If the Knicks ever get a young core in place, free agents will want to sign with them. The garden will sell itself. Like if Ty goes to the runner in baseball, you know, Ty will go to the Knicks having MSG in New York City as their big advantage. So they got to get to a point where, you know, the roster is not a 17-win team they're trying to sell free agents on. You know, it's a fringe playoff team with young pieces in place that would make it attractive uh, for a free agent to sign with them. So that's really the key for that moving forward. Would you trade for Chris Paul? Uh, if OKC would maybe eat some of his contract, sure. But I don't know if it makes much sense. I mean, CP is going to be 35 next year as well as he's played this year for the Thunder. And I think, and you talk about the MVP, you know, I think he should be in that conversation. They, they've overachieved. He has been so good for that team. And the numbers, you know, don't even necessarily back it up. I mean, when he's not on the floor, the numbers back it up. But what it's impressed me the most about Chris Paul, you know, is the fact that, 
you know, he just seems to just make players around him better. And doesn't always show in the stats. But if you watch the Thunder, you know how talented and how dangerous they could be at times. So he's still a really good player. But I don't think taking on a guy that still has, you know, $40 million a year coming to him for the next two more years after this makes a whole lot of sense for the Knicks. Is it two more years of the contract or is it one more year after this? I thought it was two, but I could be wrong. It was only one more year that would change my perception, but I was under the impression that when the Rockets moved him, he had three years left on his deal. How many years does Westbrook have left on his deal? Because I think it's one less than that. Yeah, uh, two more years on his contract. So if you look at Chris Paul's contract, he signed a four-year deal a couple years ago. So, yeah, he has next season and the year after. So he's got two more years. Got it. Got it. Okay. All right. Well, it's going to be an interesting offseason for the Knicks. Um like, you know, most seasons recently, that's the highlight of our, our season is the off the following off season. But yeah, being a Knicks fan is the worst, but at least um, maybe uh, you talked me into not being as pessimistic as I as I should be. So thank you for that. You made my day. <laughs> well, uh, let's hope for the best. And, uh, you know, that's all we really can do as Knicks fans. All right, Jake, I, I really appreciate appreciate you hopping on. Uh, first time guest. Hope hope to have you on again. So where can everybody listen to you? Um, you know, during the week, uh, Monday through Friday, I'm on. Uh, I'm a, I host a nationally syndicated show on Sports Map Radio. You can listen at SportsMapRadio.com, the Sports Map Radio app, and uh, you can subscribe to my podcast, which is basically a replay of my show every day, the Jake Asman Show podcast, wherever you get podcasts, Apple, Spotify, Stitcher. So, yeah, I'm on Twitter at Jake Asman, and uh, you know, it's uh, always great to interact with listeners. So, definitely give me a follow there. That's awesome. That's awesome. Anyway, appreciate your time. Thanks so much. Hopefully we'll do it again soon. Um, and yeah, uh, it'll be an interesting, uh, interesting uh, NBA playoffs, though. Everybody should look out for. So uh, yeah, uh, again, thanks again so much. Absolutely. You got it. Speak to you soon. Bye-bye. See ya. Thanks again to my guest tonight, uh, Jake Asman, uh, Sports Map Radio National Host, uh, for his time. Uh, he mentioned where you can find all the stuff. Uh, definitely give him a listen. Uh, good stuff all around. That's episode 84 for the love of the game. Take us out, Luda. What you keep in your house? What about diamonds and gold? Is that what you keep in your mouth? What in the world is in that case? What you got in that case? Get about my face. You couldn't relate. Wait to take place at a similar pace. So shake, shake and got my swing. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube. You know when you're listening to a true crime story that has an unbelievable plot twist that makes you stop in your tracks? That's what our podcast, People Are the Worst, brings you with each episode. I'm Rachel. And I'm Rebecca. We're identical twins who love true crime cases that make you say, didn't see that coming, and we hate the people responsible for them. Listen to People Are the Worst now on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.